Oh, I'm never doing that again. Emmy, what happened to you? Your, your clothes are burnt to a crisp, your tail is covered in bow ties, and you smell like cheap barbecue sauce? What the hell did you do on your trip? Oh, man, all I've got to say is this. What happens in Jellystone stays in Jellystone. There are too many cartoons, but they'll watch them all. To the Penny and James to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke to you, Corgi. Welcome yet again to the Pemmy and James kind of sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. And this is a first for us in that this is a currently running cartoon we're talking about today. But it does have ties in a lot of classic cartoons. Oh, ties to more classic cartoons than you can shake a picnic basket at. Yay! Yes, it is Jellystone, the currently HBO Max exclusive soon to be coming to Cartoon Network production that has its roots in dozens upon dozens of Hanna-Barbera properties. And man, they do some deep cuts on this show. Do they ever. But let's let's get some background going. And to start, we got to go all the way back to 1957 when William Hanna and Joseph Barbera were let go from MGM Studios when that company decided it would be cheaper to just keep rerunning their old theatrical shorts in theaters rather than having them keep making new ones. Ouch. Yeah. Well, you know, that's what happens when you keep slashing the budget on your shows and making them have to like use lower and lower quality animation. But I think Hanna-Barbera learned something from that because the following year they would uh, be pioneering the techniques, as it were, of limited animation, starting with 1957's Rough and Ready show and continuing in 1958 with the Huckleberry Hound show, which would win them the very first Emmy Award for an animated television series. And be the show that put them on the map, pretty much. Essentially, yeah. That led to multitudes of successes in primetime, Saturday morning, syndication, and even occasionally in theaters, and a roster of characters including <gasps> Yogi Bear, The Flintstones, Scooby-Doo, Top Cat, Johnny Quest, The Jetsons, Space Ghost, Snagglepuss, Quit Draw McGraw, Dastardly and Muttley, and those are just the biggest highlights. Whew. That Admittedly, that's the short version of the list. And that's not even getting into things like Scooby-Doo or its variety of clones, Wacky Races, The Biscuits, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, and various, various others. But yeah, basically Hanna-Barbera were the dominating producers of original animated programming for television during the 60s, the 70s, and arguably a large chunk of the 80s, even though that was when things began to crumble for them. Yeah, 80s Hanna-Barbera wasn't a good time for them. They did kind of have a revival in the late 90s, though, thanks to uh, Cartoon Network and Ted Turner. That Very true. So while Scooby-Doo and Tom and Jerry, when those characters returned to the fold, would prove evergreen properties as the rights changed from Taft Broadcasting to Turner Broadcasting to Time Warner over the years, 
the popularity of the rest of their massive library of characters would wax and wane to numerous varying degrees as the studios slowly gave way to Cartoon Network Studios and Scooby-Doo Productions were taken over by Warner Animation proper. Yep. And we'd get occasional things like those weird WWE crossover movies and a two Mexican-made Top Cat theatrical films. Well, theatrical in Mexico. Right. Straight to DVD here. But it was at Cartoon Network Studios that the hero of this current story, C.H. Greenblatt, struck out on his own after his work on Nickelodeon's monolithic mega-hit, SpongeBob SquarePants, as well as Cartoon Network properties like The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. And he created Chowder, one of many shows I've probably... One of the one, definitely one of the best shows to come out in like the two thousands era of Cartoon Network. Agreed. The two thousand seven series was a somewhat surreal cartoon centered around a catering company that proved quite popular, and to some animation critics, acted as a bridge between two distinct eras of Cartoon Network programming. It proved Greenblatt to be a reliable creator leading to Time Warner, eventually offering him the Hanna-Barbera legacy library of characters to develop into a new show. Hence, Jellystone. According to uh, Greenblatt, originally their idea was they were going to do something similar in lines to the new Looney Tunes cartoons that's going on on HBO Max, where they just did random episodes with random Hanna-Barbera characters, but decided at some point to instead just take all these characters, shove them in a town named Jellystone, and have just entire chaos ensue. Yeah, he w- when he was watching through everything, and he eventually came up to Laugh Olympics, and he realized, hey, these characters make a darn good ensemble. So we may, rather than focus on this one here, this one there, this one here, this one there, we may as well just put them together and see what happens. So then they started setting out to figuring out what core character groups they would be centering their main stories around, and they settled on, at least according to his interviews, five distinct, but not mutually exclusive, uh, character families. First up would be, of course, Yogi Bear, alongside Boo Boo and Cindy, at Jellystone Hospital. Who in the world gave that bear a doctor's license? Hey! I cheated on all my tests, boo-boo, and now I'm a surgeon! Smarter than the average bear! President Smith's not gonna like that, Yogi. (laughs) So yeah, this trio desperately tries to keep the very accident and disaster-prone citizens of Jellystone healthy. Hilarity inevitably ensues. Seemingly despite Yogi's incompetence and selfishness in this show, he does seem to be a somewhat reliable surgeon which is just a scary thought up next we have probably the most pleasant surprise for me because i never quite connected with the original cartoons for these characters augie doggy and doggy daddy are frequently at the center of us of the storylines i i love these two in this show but i i like them originally too i think their characters i liked better once i became a parent to be honest hmm, fair but I, I will be giving them a second chance down the line. But definitely Augie is the one they get the most mileage of because not only do we watch her father's re- 
ridiculous overprotective tendencies. He's not just a helicopter parent. He's a helicarrier parent. What? Don't everybody put trackers on their kids? But we also see plenty of Augie in her exploits with classmates Shag Rug and Yaki Doodle. Both of which are significantly reimagined for this series. <laughs> but we will get more into that character by character as they come up. So our third character family centers around the oh-so-merry Chuckleberry Huckleberry Hound. Town Mayor, who is aided and abetted by his staff, Mr. Jinx and Snagglepuss. I, I gotta say, because... Yeah, if anybody deserves to be the mayor of this Hanna-Barbera-focused town, it's definitely him. Since this show's the one that did place... Pretty much gave them all the popularity they had. But basically. And, you know, as I grew up adoring Huck's short subject cartoons above nearly all the other Hanna-Barbera funny animals, even though I enjoyed the vast majority of them, something about Huck just clicked with me. So this interpretation of the character captures a lot of what made him funny. It updates it just enough. I'm, I couldn't be happier. I, I do feel kind of sorry for Huckleberry Hound as a character in one major factor, which is while his show was the show that put Hanna-Barbera on the map, Yogi Bear kind of took over as the like mascot for that type of show for Hanna-Barbera which kind of feels unfair to Huckleberry Hound when you think about it, seeing as Yogi Bear started as like a sub-show on his show. Yeah, that, that's true. Uh, Yogi was the Fonz before there was a Fonz. <laughs> Pretty much. The Yogi Yahooies, as mm -hmm. it, it is in the Laugh Olympics. As opposed to the Huckleberry Hucksters. Yep. Now, the fourth character family, we've only really seen one focus episode for, so presumably in the other ten episodes that are currently waiting to be released, we'll see some more of them. I really hope so. I really hope so. Yeah, it would. That this would be Jabberjaw, who works alongside Loopy de Loop at Magilla Gorilla's Couture Boutique. And the dynamic between these three is genuinely hilarious. Oh, I, I, I love Jabber and, like, Loopy so much. I love Loopy in this so much. She gives no Fs. <laughs> in fact, uh, you, you could argue she takes the Fs away. <laughs> I also love this version of Jabberjaw, which is... You know, I'll get some, I'll probably get some flack from some purists on this, but I like this version of Jabberjaw better than the original. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to those purists in a moment as well. But the last character family is the gang we talked about just in our last episode. The most effectual top cat and his gang still trying to scam folks, making their comedy premise, at least in theory, the closest to the original. I love this version of Top Cat. These are the the, the two episodes. I mean, we're we're gonna get into one of them. The two episodes focusing on Top Cat and his crew are like my two favorite episodes in this entire series so far. I love this interpretation of these characters so much, and uh, they're they're just really fun. I mean, they're they're probably my they're probably my favorite group of character of the these five family groups they're probably my favorite group because they're just so much fun and it also made me happy that i wasn't the only one that's like can we just get a spinoff with these characters yeah fan art online has been exploding 
of these characters, probably more so than just about any other group of the cast. And when you consider how many characters there are and how deep these fan bases run, that's saying something. This is probably the most attention they've gotten in the U.S. in a long time. Agreed. Grant, I'm just happy to see that Jolie Stone is just doing so well. Like, there's so much fan art, so much popularity, uh, you know, it's going on Cartoon Network, like, in September, so it's like, that, they had to have proven something on HBO Max to have that happen so shortly, because I think it took, like, six months or so before they even started showing the new Looney Tune cartoons on Cartoon Network, which I'm surprised they actually bothered doing that, because, uh, man, some of those, uh, Looney Tune cartoon shorts get dark. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Now, other characters pop in and out, ranging from featured regulars like the great great bait, Peter Potamus, and Shazan. Not to mention my first ever cosplay, Captain Caveman! I, I do have to say I like this interpretation of KB as well. I like that the teenagers are make appearances too. Yeah, and we, you'll get guest characters like the Great Kazoo and the Banana Splits, and cameos from the likes of Quickie Koala and the Hair Bear Bunch, or even the CB Bears, which is even more obscure. Yes. I also like how they just randomly apply jobs to some of them, like Touche Turtle as the chief of police. And his assist and his assisting like policemen are Yippy Yappy and Yahooey. Yeah, who even thought of Yippy Yappy and Yahooey since their original run? I barely even saw reruns of their stuff on Cartoon Network. I, I, I remember a local syndicated channel showed reruns of them when I was a kid, but even then, I only it, it was like I only vaguely remembered them until I stumbled upon them fairly recently again. I was like, oh yeah, it's these guys. But yeah, it's just amazing all the characters they throw in there. Like Millie Wolf, Bristlehound, and Lamsey from It's the Wolf appear in the show. Yeah. (laughs) Granny Sweet from Precious Pup is in this show. And another character that has not been featured since her original production run. Now, of course, none of this would matter if the show wasn't funny. Fortunately, the comedy is varied and fast-paced, and thankfully, the majority of the jokes land effectively. It does a good method of where even when a joke doesn't land, it's usually fast-paced and throws enough jokes that it can make up for. If if one doesn't work, the next one usually will or something. Most times. <laughs> All right. Warning, folks, we're about to get political. There's been some fairly vocal animation fans crying out over the gender flipping of characters like Jabberjaw, Loop-a-de-loop, Augie-doggy, Brain, Hardy-har-har, etc., complaining that Hanna-Barbera has enough female characters that it wasn't necessary. Or that they should have just created new characters, or etc., etc. Now, I'm going to filibuster here for a bit and break down why I disagree. The show is centered around Hanna-Barbera's funny animal characters you know one look at the credits and the only characters who are not anthropomorphized animals are shazan winsome witch and captain caveman now within the funny animal family of characters i can basically count on one hand the significant reoccurring women cindy bear ma rug and floral rug 
Now, you could add human characters Winsome Witch and Granny Smith from the Precious Pup shorts that Pemmy mentioned earlier to that list too, since they were of that era and appeared in the short subject format. And all five of those characters have made at least cameos thus far, if not featured players. But the ensemble is so massive that they make up a minority. Now, yes, characters like Wilma Flintstone, Judy Jetson, and Velma Dinkley are crucial to Hanna-Barbera lore. But those character families seem to be off-limits, save for very brief cameos and allusions, especially with Scooby-Doo projects perpetually in development and a new Flintstone spin-off being developed at the same time. Moreover, Hanna-Barbera has zero reoccurring school-age female animal characters, so either one would need to be made from whole cloth, or someone would have to be reimagined. And the thing that Greenblatt wanted to do was he wanted to just use the Hanna-Barbera library of characters rather than create a characters. So with the exception of one character that was created solely for a joke, they pretty much figured if that rather than create new characters, if they need a particular type of character, reimagine like one of the other characters and, and to fit into that role, which I think is actually brilliant. Yeah, you know, many of these characters are vastly different from their original carnations, regardless of gender. I watched a lot of Magilla Gorilla. I don't remember him being a reasonably straight version of a metropolitan fashionista. <laughs> and I don't remember Quick Draw McGraw forever living in his El Cabong persona, or Lippy the Lion being a borscht belt comedy elderly man. Yet here we are! And heck, I mean... If you've watched as much Hanna-Barbera stuff as I have, I can straight up tell you a lot of these characters haven't been consistent during their whole, like, span. Yogi alone has a personality that has fluctuated wildly between shows. From being the smarter-than-the-average-bear kind of conning, mischievous but lovable thief, to just, if you watch a show like Galaxy Goof-Ups, he's just a plain moron. Or you watch, like, uh, Yogi... Yogi's Treasure Hut, where he's actually kind of depicted as a, like, a moronic jerk in some scenes. Ooh, yeah. Now, I empathize with those who want their nostalgia reflected, but at the end of the day, we're talking about characters like Squidly Diddly and the Hillbilly Bears. Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny caliber titans of cartoon history, many of these characters ain't that. Not just that, but a lot of these characters haven't been used in decades upon decades so this is better i think this is better for them than having them just straight up forgotten which is almost what happened to a lot of these characters no kidding also this has also brought a lot more interest to the old hanna-barbera cartoons as of late people are actually seeking them out now to see the origins of these characters so if you still have a problem just do what i suggested in our last episode Regard the old school Hanna-Barbera as Earth-1, and regard Jellystone as Earth-2. There you go. So, we're going to get to voice actors and individual character interpretations as we come across them in the episode. This is not going to be the only time we talk about Jellystone, because there is just so much to discuss with this cartoon. It is so good, and I love it so much. I was so scared this was going to be a case where I just got so hyped about a show that I was going to be disappointed upon seeing it, and I am so happy that is not the case. So, are we ready to, to dive in? Yes. 
Now let's begin with a coconut to remember. And uh, before we go any further, spoiler alert. The property we're discussing is less than five years old and or is currently in its original run. Spoilers are ahead. You have been warned. Okay. All right. With that out of the way. We open at Magilla's, where the proprietor can't seem to satisfy himself despite the customer, Wally Gator, loving everything presented to him in terms of a bow tie. <laughs> but he likes them all. Yeah. Now, Magilla is voiced by a, ce- a celebrity of the caliber of Paul F. Tompkins. Okay, maybe he's not exactly an A-lister, but he's a very well-regarded voice actor, having done roles like Gladstone Gander in the recent DuckTales revival, and he's even appeared as one of the, the thugs at the Snuggly Dug- Duckling at Entangled. I, he's, he was so good as Gladstone in Duck, New DuckTales. But now, fortunately for him, Jabber comes in and puts on a proper pink bow tie and solves everything. I like it! <laughs> which, which is what Wally said to everything, but apparently this was enough to get McGill's approval to the point where he promotes Jabberjaw to assistant manager via an official golden heirloom bow tie. And somehow this promotion encompasses a literal parade and then a figurative parade of potential suitors. El Kabong Shazam is like, look at my muscles. And uh, Mr. Jinx has tattooed Jabberjaw's name onto his forehead. Not to mention Peter Potamus writing a haiku. More about him in the second episode we discuss. I, I think this is one of my favorite parts of Jabberjaw in this in this show is she's just got such simple motives. All she wants is a boyfriend and to be assistant manager. <laughs> I guess it's appropriate that a water creature pretty much living on land exclusively right now would be terribly thirsty. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad you nailed that joke because I, I, I was wanting to make a joke similar but couldn't think of a way to nail it properly. Thank you. So she declares all the men in town can be her boyfriend for a day, one day per calendar year. Before Jabberjaw is jabbed awake, you see what I did there? Hi. By Loopy, who needs her Jabba-jaw. help. <laughs> Jabba-jaw. Jabba-jaw. <laughs> she needs her help getting the store ready for McGillis Tropical Line, which features a mascot that I, I, I just can't place where I've seen this guy before. It's on the tip of my tongue. Yabba dabba doo! <laughs> that's it. That that that's it. It was Roman holidays. <laughs> No, of course it's Fred Flintstone. <laughs> yeah, it's Fred Flintstone, but it's like somebody's going to remember what the Roman holidays was. <laughs> I, I do like the tropical Fred Flintstone <laughs> bow tie, though. Yeah, it's definitely a more tasteful cameo than the other time we see Fred. Actually, that Woo! cameo still makes me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Should we mention that other cameo? <laughs> Yeah, Fred and Wilma appear on the cover of a Harlequin romance novel. Fabio style. <laughs> that cover cracks me up so much. <laughs> uh, funny note, the uh, artist that drew it mentioned that they had him edit the original drawing. He actually had Fred's hand on uh, Wilma's bosom 
and uh, they made him edit it. But he was mad because after he edited it to where his hand is on her shoulder instead, they instead cover that area of her with flames anyway. So he was just like, why'd you bother? You're just going to cover that part with flames anyways. Maybe they're trying to future-proof it for DVD extras. Oh. That's my only guess. But uh, (laughs) nice to see Flintstone cameos. Yeah. Neat thing I want to mention on Loopy the Loop, though, is other than I just love her in this show... Loopy the Loop's character, original character, was uh, was actually supposed to be uh, kind of based on stereotypes of French Canadians. And uh, the current voice actress that plays Loopy the Loop is actually Quebec from Quebec. So she's legit French Canadian. This cast is so massive that Wikipedia already has a, like, a sec- separate section just for the characters. Character <laughs> yes. list. Here we go. So Jabberjaw herself is voiced by Nicole Thurman, who, funny story, during her audition, mispronounced Magilla as Magilla, and they decided, let's keep it. <laughs> yep. Nicole also voices Squidly Diddly, who we unfortunately don't encounter this time around. I do love how she talks like a 90s teenager, though. She's just like, whatever. Like, I have this idea. Of candles on your shoes? I call them sandal candles. (laughs) So, back to our story. Sensing an opportunity, Jabberjaw intends to make Magilla ugly cry by completely making over the store to match the new product line, impress him so much that she gets promoted to assistant manager, and then everything goes my way for a change! (laughs) I I love that scene, though. It's like, and then he's gonna gonna cry, but it's not gonna be a pretty cry. It's gonna be an ugly cry! (laughs) I, I I love I love I love Nicole Thurman in this role as she's so good. Yeah. Cue a quick montage of Sir, this is a Wendy's gags and oh wait, there's Squidly Deadly. <laughs> My mistake. But anyhow, we get, they eventually make a brief reference to a Hawaiian trip that Loopy says could have been an entire episode. <laughs> On its own, yes. <laughs> Uh, I love Luffy on this. She's so sarcastic and just so just... I just does not care. <laughs> also may have some pyromaniac tendencies. Yeah, we'll, we'll see that in a moment. So, Jabberjaw's hoping this impressive Magilla, and she doesn't have to wait long. He's standing behind a tiki pole. I, I know it looks like a totem pole, but th- those weren't part of Hawaiian culture. So... Yeah. Also worth noting that one of the Tiki uh, faces looks like Magilla's face. Oh, jeez, now you're doing it! <laughs> but anyhow, he proceeds to go, Oh, sweetie! At everything he sweeze, to Jabberjaw's delight. Her f- request to be made assistant manager gets a less enthused, Oh, sweetie! After that. And he begins to tell her gently why it can't be discussing his disappointment with the crown molding being off-white. Why does this disappoint him? Well, it's because he wanted eggshell white. But what's he going to do? Burn the place down? Do it! (laughs) More like, do it! (laughs) Do it! Oh, I love Loopy so much! (laughs) And then he discusses the people it would be unfair to, starting with Loopy, who has seniority, which, okay, that's reasonable. 
I've been here since I was a baby. (laughs) Then the pair of shoes in the window that never get bought. Huh? (laughs) And then the freaking Clue Club! (laughs) Who solved the haunted break room mystery. It was all man Jenkins. (laughs) I love how they animate the Clue Club in this. They just drew like one picture and just keep changing just lip sync looper. Uh, woofer. <laughs> I'll admit, I kind of wish they get, got someone who could do a better Paul Winchell impression, but oh well. I mean, it, it's the Clue Club. I actually think that was C.H. Greenblatt doing the voice, too. Okay. doing the voice. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's just like, wow, that's a that's a cut. <laughs> Which, I, I will say that as as someone who's recently watched a lot of Scooby-Doo clones, um, I will say that I actually think Clue Club was one of the better ones. Though I also think it's also insane because they have uh, the little sister of the group is like doing forensic science on that show. Do we want to do some uh, Scooby-Doo uh, takeoffs in November? Ooh, that would be good. Yeah, we've already kind of got the rest of August, September, and October planned out to a certain degree. I mean, we've got convention promotion and Halloween episodes to do. Yeah, not to mention it's not like this is the it's not like the clue. I kind of ironic the Clue Club's in this, considering one of the starring characters in this was also from a Scooby Two clone, aka Jabberjaw. Right. Although that was kind of a stretch, calling the clone was more of a. A sci-fi adventure comedy? I mean, they weren't really dealing with mysteries. They knew who the culprits were. But it did follow the casting format of a Scooby-Doo. Well, it's as much a Scooby-Doo clone as Josie and the Pussycats is when you think about it. Yeah. Maybe it's more a Josie clone. You see, that's one of the things I explained when I did my review of uh, Fang Face on... uh, Which was that there's kind of... They all get summed up as a Scooby-Doo clone, but to me, there's two sections. There's, like, the Scooby-Doo clone, where it's, like, it's a group of teenagers, they they find a mystery, they solve that mystery, usually has a ghost or spook in it. And then there's the Josie format, where it's a group of teenagers, and they get involved in some some mad scheme from some Johnny Quest reject villain, and they end up stopping him. And... Jabberjaw falls into that second category, but for whatever reason, they all get summed up as Scooby clones, probably because they focus on teenagers, and I guess, I don't know. And a sidekick. Teenagers, that's teenagers, an animal sidekick, and they stop crimes. Seemingly, that's it. Or an otherwise, this this person should not be in the modern day sidekick. See the Funky Phantom and Captain Caveman. Yeah. Uh, Anyhow. Well, I mean, arguably... Uh, arguably, if we use logic, uh, you know, Jabberjaw shouldn't be here right now because Jabberjaw's from the future. But <laughs> So we're going to tangent a lot here, folks, because we just have so much Hanna-Barbera love and knowledge. I, I randomly also had a flashback to, like, did you ever watch Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated? Um, I haven't yet. Oh, it's so good. It is my second favorite Scooby series. But they had this one episode where Scooby gets sick and he has this like fever dream where he teams up with uh captain caveman and jabberjaw and the funky phantom and speed buggy mm, and, okay. and 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 it there's like th- there's just a scene that makes me laugh because they just ask jabberjaw questions like and, and it's and frank welker actually reprises his role as jabberjaw for this scene and he's just like 
How should I know? I'm just the shark from the future! Woo! <laughs> okay, so let's get back to McGilla's shop. A good job is passed off as being better than a promotion, leaving Jabberjaw wanting her respect. The more things change, folks, the more they stay the same. <laughs> uh, that... I feel your pain, Jabberjaw. <laughs> now, Loopy, despite her seniority, believes JJ deserves the job. Though I suspect she just wants an excuse to burn the store if the flamethrower she's holding is any indication. <laughs> she's put it all down. <laughs> Jabberjaw's sobbing tantrum leads to her bonking her head on a coconut tree, which Magilla is also standing under. And he <laughs> was... Killed by a coconut. Oh, wait, wait. I'm being informed that he merely has a cartoon lump on his head and amnesia. Uh, so he just got a concussion. Yeah. Uh, before that, though, I I, I I did, like, get a laugh out of, like, McGillis telling, like, <laughs> telling Jabberjaw that. It's like, Jabberjaw, if you're going to cry, you need to cry in the bathroom like everybody else. <laughs> Jabberjaw realizes this amnesia that Magilla's under is the opportunity she needs, and she quickly brainstorms a plot that she says out loud, and tells the now easily influenced Magilla that she is in fact assistant manager, putting on the heirloom bow tie, and it's enough to convince Magilla. Up until like uh, Jabber and Loopy get a little too excited and totally wreck the place yes, in their celebration. Ce their idea of a celebration includes swinging on a disco ball and, of course, Loopy's flamethrower. I I do love the scene like before she pulls up the flamethrower, where Jabber just flips over the table, and then you just see Loopy just nonchalantly punch the space, <laughs> like as little effort as possible. Now, however, McGillis starts getting his memory back, and just as he's reeling, the crown molding isn't eggshell white, JJ throws another coconut. Oh. <laughs> and this becomes a scheme as Jabber decides to go with her best assistant mayor plan, I mean, not assistant, best assistant manager plan of being in control, and every time McGillis starts to regain his memory, hit him with another coconut. Yeah, via, montage. <laughs> via her vision board, her montage includes targeted marketing, which translates to launching giant bow ties at Jellystone residents via cannon, frequent bathroom cry breaks, that's exactly what it says in the tin, expanding the store, which comprises of wrecking the top half of it with a wrecking ball, securing a loan for fixing the store, bank robbery complete with ski masks and that ever-present flamethrower. <laughs> and just like Pemmy said, each task and then some are accompanied by more concussive coconuts. I I do want to mention one thing real quick that we didn't mention. When uh when Magilla first gets his memory back, he, uh, he points out this one picture that's like, and why is this picture brought back from the basement or whatever? And it's Mr. Peebles from the original Magilla Gorilla show hugging him. So, and I just thought that was like a really cute little reference. Okay, now I have to tangent here. When I say concussive coconuts, I feel like I should be saying it in a Casey Kasem voice. <laughs> it just sounds like something you'd hear on the Top 40 Countdown. What? Up next, more concussive coconuts. Or something that you might hear Robin say on the Super Friends. Hmm. 
Concussive Coconuts, Batman. Who was also voiced by Casey Kasem. Yep. When we next see the store, it has been it's been held together by comically large bandages, and it's now been redubbed Jabber Jaws. And here we see Yogi and Cindy arriving to the shop, and this is actually convenient. We can actually discuss Yogi without having to necessarily do one of his episodes later on. But though Yogi, we will do one eventually. Yogi who comes in and sees these bow ties on display and starts eating them thinking they're free bow tie pasta. Yeah, Yogi is one of several characters voiced by Jeff Bergman in the series and just about everybody Bergman voices sounds so wonderfully close to their original selves. You know, we've already mentioned Wally Gators in there and that's another Bergman voice. He also does Mr. Jinx. And uh, he he does Ranger Smith. It is worth mentioning, though, this isn't the first time Jeff Bergman has played Yogi Bear, though. Oh, no, no. He's done it for commercials. And he even contributed a quick, hey, in the latest Space Jam movie. Yeah, if I remember right, I think he played him in, uh, I think he played him in Yo-Yogi. But okay. Let me double check that real quick. While you double-check that, I want to mention Cindy Bear is voiced by Grace Helbig. And and Cindy is arguably the most competent of the three bears operating at the hospital. And she's dramatically changed from just being a passive Southern Belle to a very, very take-charge leading woman type. And Grace also performs, I think, at least one more voice on the show... She just kind of, I uh, just kind of figured. She's a, uh, I think she's Granny Sweet. Um, oh yes, yes, there it is, Granny Sweet. And I think somebody else too. Uh, yeah, Greg Bergson is Yogi Bear and uh, Yo Yogi. Okay, very, very good. Good to know. It, it didn't put it on his official, like on his page on uh, Wikipedia for some reason, but whenever I looked it up. Looked up Yo Yogi itself. It's there, so I think he's in Fender Bender Five Hundred as well. But let me see. Oh, while you keep looking that look that up, I'm going to keep us moving. While Cindy tries to keep you keep Yogi from eating the bow tie pasta, they soon find Magilla with practically a crown of cartoon lumps on his head. Cindy, uh, quickly- yes. Yes, he is. Uh, he is Yogi, as well as Huckleberry Hound, Quick Draw, Madra- and Snagglepuss in Fender Bender Five Hundred. Goodness, which was kind of the weird cart, uh, weird kind of wacky races revival of sorts that starred uh, Hanna Barbera alumni characters for Wake, Rattle, and Roll. Right. Uh, I and wonder we, why they didn't get him to reprise his role as Snagglepuss for Jellystone. That's a fair question, but I, maybe they already had him doing too much. Either way. Cindy surmises from Magilla's... Now I'm doing it. From Magilla's condition, that one more shot to the head could end his memory permanently. Permanently. Permanently! Permanently? (laughs) Yes, even Wally Gator has not budged an inch since the Imagine Spot at the beginning of the episode. Wait, (laughs) but if that was an Imagine Spot, then he shouldn't be... No, no, no. Don't do it, James. Don't do it. Resist applying logic to this show. You, you, you'll make your brain explode. Yeah, and, and I, 
And I've got too much content to produce for that. Cue a scene of a coconut looking like it's going to fall on him, but fortunately does not. Only for, well... <laughs> yeah, the... Yeah, when, when Jabberjaw depromotes herself and throws off the heirloom bow tie, it causes a chain reaction, but the potentially catastrophic coconut lands on a banana, which splatters on the floor, only for Yogi to slip on it and launch a different coconut that he was holding into Megilla. Don't! <laughs> so now they need help to get Megilla's memories back, and fortunately Jabberjaw was able to get the attention of Cindy and Yogi before they snuck out of the... <laughs> Guilty. Yeah. In return for signing a waiver and giving the doctors matching hats, they hook Jabberjaw and Megillah into something out of a Frankenstein movie. It, I, it actually <laughs> reminds me of the Chronogon device from Day of the Tentacle. Well, sin, if there's anything that's new to Cindy's personality, it's that she's pretty much a mad scientist now. Yeah. So this will put Jabberjaw's consciousness into Megillah's mind, where she has to go find his core memory. She arrives there to find her boss's memories disappearing, and then hears Yogi singing karaoke about himself into the comm unit of the machine. Because of course he is. (laughs) So Jabberjaw is told to find Megillah's core personality, and just as she's wondering where that could possibly be, it's right in front of her. It's a adorable baby Megilla. Yeah, who also voiced by Paul F. Tompkins, rather than just getting a different voice actor to do it. I think and, that actually makes it more hilarious. Yeah, and he's even inserting his boss talk with his googles and gagas. It's cuter when he does it, I assure you. Sweetie. <laughs> Meanwhile, his core memory is represented by, of course, a bow tie. And Cindy tells Jabberjaw to reunite the two. The catch? Tiki coconut shooters. What else? And boy, does Jabberjaw take quite a few of those. But she pulls through for her boss that she has caused so much problems for. So, with memories restored, Megilla decides that if the Clue Crew, nay, Clue Club, is okay with it, she can be assistant manager. Oh yeah, that's gonna be fine with us. <laughs> Unfortunately, while Yogi's still eating bow ties, Cindy flings a tear of joy and starts that chain reaction from previously all over again. Only this time, it results in two dislodged coconuts and both Megilla and Jabberjaw getting amnesia. (laughs) Who are you? I don't know. Who are you? I don't know. Who are you? I asked you! Yeah, the episode ends with them in a loop of them doing just that. The end! Ah, <laughs> oh, what I call the good old yet, Yersia Yatsura ending. <laughs> it's not a... Nothing's resolved, things still... Things just got worse. <laughs> um, I'm going to arrange songs royalties with the estate of Shel Silverstein for my use of that Killed by a Coconut song. So while I go do that, we'll be right back after this commercial break. After these messages, we'll be right back. On the next Pemmy and James podcast, we go all the way back to the humble roots of the single most enduring and inescapable animated property to come from Japan, the original Dragon Ball. Localized for American audiences no less than three times 
the original series, and the manga that inspired it have spawned numerous sequel series, feature films, toy lines, video games, and single-handedly drove the market for orange model paint. Not bad for a bratty monkey-tailed kid who thought a ball with stars on it was his dead grandfather. We'll apply context to that statement in two weeks. I, I wonder what, during them having their memories, both just asking each other, I, I just imagine that, like, Loopy's just sitting there eating popcorn and watching that. <laughs> Absolutely. I, that's something I could easily imagine, too. I want an episode, I want Loopy to get her own episode, or just more of Jabber and Loopy, because they work so well together between, like, Loopy's just not caring and, like, Jabber's just over the topness. Um, though my favorite line was still in one of the other episodes where like it's like we're gonna we're gonna play indoor badminton, but Loopy doesn't want to play. I refuse to move my body for sport, only pleasure. <laughs> wow, they got that one past the censors. <laughs> so we got So Jabberjaw about- had a pretty decent scam, but nobody scams. Like, the chief, the king, and above everything, the most tip-top top cat. Uh, I love that he's just all about scheming still. <laughs> so are we ready to talk about Cats Do Dance? Yes, I am totally ready for this because I love this episode so much. It is so good. Coincidentally, even the name of this episode is an homage to something that was owned by Turner and then transferred over to Time Warner. The movie Cats Don't Dance. Was it a Warner property originally? It was a Turner property originally. Really? Yeah, at least that's what I read. Huh, okay. I I thought, for some weird reason, I thought it was a Warner movie release. Okay. Why don't you set up the episode while I go double check? All right. The episode starts out with Top Cat coming in with his newly borrowed (laughs) bumper car that he says the clowns at the fair totally won't miss. He also brings in a box, a, or quote, setting box, because of course he would. They are cats. Okay, I, I found it out. It turns out it's a six of one, half a dozen of another. It started under Turner, but when the purchase made it, the movie was like something like partway through production. Ah, and then Warner just took over and released it to yeah. theaters. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, cats don't dance. <laughs> but yeah, and I, I love that TC's like showing off like how great their alley is and it's the perfect place to live. They've got yeah, the, the new setting box. They got like this telephone pole to use as a scratching pole. They got like this table that uh, Brain can like paint the miniatures she's made, which includes like Top cat on top of a, a police car that has ran over Benny. <laughs> wow, something's up with brain. <laughs> and it also includes a makeshift sand pit slash bathroom and a full blown fajita station. And of course, the spot where they mark how tall Benny's gotten. I'm the same! <laughs> yeah, it, it never changes. The point is, they love the alley, even if Choo Choo thinks it needs a conversation pit or something. Let's see, I, I do want to say that uh, while TC's voice is very different, I it still works really well. Like it does. 
they they managed to find a voice that completely fits him without just doing you know either Phil Silvers or you know imitating Arnold Stagg, which is really neat. Point is, TC can't think of a better place to call home, and neither can the king. Okay, this bunch of characters are a deeper cut than the Clue Club ever was. So, Pemmy, take it away. A rival gang has come to try to steal TC's uh, alley, and this gang consists of the characters from Hey, It's the King. It was a sub-show on CB Bears, which was a, another long-forgotten Hanna-Barbera show. CB Bears originally aired as a whole hour block, and then when it went to syndication, it got split up into two blocks, which was the CB Bears and then Hey, It's the King. But Hey, It's the King starred the, this lion named The King, who is very much a wannabe Fonzie, which they even referenced by having him say, Hey, I'm the King, as well as his uh, classmates, because they were in high school in the original show, because again, happy days. It's pretty much furry happy days, to be honest, which include his uh, classmates, a hippopotamus named Big H, a gorilla named Clyde, an alligator named Skids, what a name, and Yuka Yuka the Hyena. Was it Yuka Yuka or Yucka Yucka? Uh, yucka Yucka, my bad. Hmm. Uh, um, because, you know, Hyena. That would right. Not seen in this, though, are like two of the other characters, which are uh, his sort of kind of lioness girlfriend, Sheena, and uh ostrich named Zelda, who are both cheerleaders at school. And often, like, cheer for the king every time he comes to their local, uh, their local, like, soda shop or whatnot. Literally every episode has that where pretty much they they walk in it's like it's the king it's the king yeah or something to that extent right and uh i believe it's big h and skids who are gender flipped for this group not that you can really tell in skids case to be honest not with that bucket over uh their head and none of them never talk either i think they say very I think there's a very brief line one of them said. It's not like a line, but they like go, ah, or something like that. Okay, um, yeah. But to the credit, uh, Big... I don't know who keeps saying old school. <laughs> I, I, I re- rewound that first instance of old school four times. Saw no lip flap from any of them. I think it's supposed to be coming from the background or something, Was is the joke. But, uh... Uh, to the credit, uh, Big H actually looks has a cute, pretty cute design for a girl version of what was pretty much the, s- the stereotypical fat fat character. So yeah, because that that was his character. He ate and he was fat, and he thinks about eating all the time because he's fat. <sighs> I also weirdly I don't like it when they put hippos in this. In, in that role, because I'm like, it's a hippo. They don't have a choice. <laughs> Essentially. That's why I always felt bad for Hoppo on the Wuzzles. <laughs> they always made fat jokes at her, and I'm like, she's a hippo! Or part hippo. She doesn't have a choice in this matter. <laughs> yeah, that's another one on our long list of shows we want to cover in the near future. That is an interesting show, I will say that. So what this motley assortment of jungle fauna is doing, having been standing there listening to Top Cat and Company exposit the whole time, is they want to take over the alley. And they do it via dance! Did you by any chance hear what the school they learned their art of dance from was? 
I I did not catch it. I caught that they were the baddest gang of the Hanna Barbera cinematic universe. <laughs> nice reference there. <laughs> that feels like a kind of backhanded slap, if anything. <laughs> I'll say, especially considering how Scoob did. Ugh. Another thing we will talk about a future date. I've got feelings about that movie, and I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. My favorite thing about that movie is just explaining the plot of that movie to someone who hasn't seen it and watch as they do not believe you that that is the actual plot of the movie. <laughs> but uh, that's beside the point. No, they they went to the New Bedrock School of Dance. Oh, another Flintstones reference snuck in. So there is a New Bedrock, much like New York or whatnot, okay. or New England or, you know, whatever. Or in Futurama's case, New New York. <laughs> but with all this talk of dancing, I'm I'm having flashbacks to that one time where South Park did the You Got Served parody. <laughs> Only this is somehow even more over the top. Now imagine that, being more over the top than South Park. Now how is this possible? Because the dancing creates force blasts. Yep. As well as a voice that, as we mentioned before, that says old school seamless. <laughs> But yeah, it seemed like they, they uh, defeat Top Cat and his gang by using the power of dance. And it's like, we gotta do something. Like, but we don't dance! It's not our thing. <laughs> to which they get completely blown out of their alley. Yep. Now homeless and redubbed Bottom Cat by the king, Top Cat seeks to rebound, starting with a place they can stay in the interim rent-free. Unfortunately, this place is with Peter Potamus. Who is the resident weeaboo. <laughs> so, old Peter Potamus was part of the second major wave of Hanna-Barbera funny animal cartoons. When their animation got a little cleaner, the coloring got a little brighter. This isn't an exact transition. You know, there's a somewhat significant animation quality difference between, say, Snooper and Blabber and the original Magilla Gorilla cartoons. Yeah, and uh, his uh, co his cohort from that show, Soso, uh, -So, does make a lot of cameo appearances in this show. So, so Peter Potamus is one of the characters voiced by C. H. Greenblatt, the creator. And in this show, like Pemmy alluded to, instead of being a a ship faring adventurer or somebody who never stops pestering you about getting that thing he sent you. <laughs> He is a lonely anime and manga geek who embodies nearly every stereotype of that culture of fandom. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, Looking at all the anime stuff he's bought, I, I don't know if you got the thing he sent you, but he definitely got the thing Amazon sent him. Jeez. I'll say. I almost wanted to call one of the figurines in the background a reference to SWAT cats. But I noticed the colors were inverted, so I'm not sure if that's the case or not. I'm also not sure if Hanna-Barbera owns SWAT Cats still. I know it's in the uh, Warner Warner Archives DVD releases, but I also know the creators at one point were doing a, were doing a Kickstarter for to revive the show, so I think the creators still own the characters or something. Possibly. Maybe that's why they could only do it if they inverted the colors. I, I do notice that there was also a vaguely sort of Boba Fett-esque looking figure there, too. Also, I'm kind of surprised the censors let them call him Bottom Cat. <laughs> Oof. 
Maybe they just didn't catch it. <laughs> yeah. So, needless to say, Peter Potamus is overjoyed that Top Cat's crew want to stay with him. But uh, the other cats are having reservations as they examine his collection of leggy airship figurines and a body pillow emblazoned with a cat-eared schoolgirl. Yeah, who would own one of those pillows? I mean, gosh. Only people who are really lonely would own one of those. I'd never own one of those. Never. Ever. Um, okay. Maybe. Uh, also, <laughs> side, also, side note, the, to complete the effect of Peter Potamus's uh, obsessions, the mute background music sounds like a K.K. Slider song from the Animal Crossing video games. It, it totally does. And Benny puts on a helmet that I'm being told is is based on the, uh, I think it's the Red Zap helmet from uh, Animal Crossing. So. Oh, okay. Because I've been wondering what that was for a long time, and that seems to be the most common answer I've gotten. And I looked at it, and I could see where it could be a copyright-friendly version of said helmet. So. Right. I also want to say, uh, wow, like, one of the things that Peter Potamus says in that list of things that they could do is something I haven't heard in ages. Because, I mean, I used to be huge in the anime. I'm not so much anymore. Occasionally, I'll watch a few things, but I'm not super into it anymore, I guess, for lack of better words. Mainly because a lot of animes have, like, hundreds of episodes, and it's just not something I have time for. But... Mm. <laughs> The, the line that he says about, we could watch OAVs, I was just like, oh my god, there's a line I have, there's, that's a yeah. phrase I haven't heard in a long time. I was like, OAVs. Original oh. animation video, for yep. those who don't know. Pretty much the anime equivalent of making something straight to DVD. Right. Top Cat wastes no time beginning to plan out scheme number one, but then the whole of them waste considerable time debating how they want to be drawn. <laughs> Uh, before we get into this, I do want to also mention, I like how uh, Brain criticizes Peter's figures wh- while su- subtly pocketing one of them. <laughs> oh, dear. And, uh, yeah, and of course, Chuchu's like, looks at the, uh, the the aforementioned pillow that I totally wouldn't ha- own one of. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, it's, and says, I don't know about this, TC. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this. Of course, when we next see Choo Choo, she's holding the pillow. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but it's but. also Choo Choo who notices Top Cat drew himself with gorgeous muscular legs. <laughs> I love this scene. This scene is probably my favorite scene in the whole series because it's so funny. It definitely it's... helps establish the personalities of the characters. <laughs> Why'd you draw yourself like that? Like what? With those big, beefy, beautiful legs. That's what I look like. That's I like what I look used, like. <laughs> yeah, I, I like how before they do that though, like she just looks at him and they do one of those like Hanna Barbera sound effects. <laughs> so upon Top Cat's insistence, Choo Choo decides she wants big beefy arms. Hot just, ones. <laughs> yep, and it just devolves from there. Benny wants a cowboy hat, and so does Fancy Fancy. And Top Cat berates Fancy for taking Benny's idea eventually giving him Brain's idea of Fancy having a baby tricycle. <laughs> and then embellishing it with a lollipop and a sailor hat. <laughs> you know, the little Lord Fauntleroy look. And then I, I love the, the... It's like, you want anything spooky? Pew, pew. A plaster? No, that's not really our style, Miss Thing. Pew, pew. 
All right, you can have one, but it's only for holding, not for shooting. <laughs> As it turns out, scheme number one takes less time to explain than all of that silliness took. And it's banana peels. I, I do wonder, though, if the whole... Oh, come on. I couldn't banana help it. <laughs> banana pills is a cartoon tradition. But I, I do want to say, I, I part of me wonders if the whole thing with uh, Spooky and the blaster is was a was a joke at like the censors or something, since guns are such a no-no in cartoon shows. Seriously, the crew sneaks in with tricycle and blaster, no less. <laughs> and they cover the alley in peels while the King and company are distracted. And while... Top Cat and Choo Choo may not have muscular appendages. Benny is wearing a cowboy hat. Yep. When they're all set, Top Cat gets their attention by waving his uh, rear end and tail. And then the king of the gang begins sliding around stylish-like. Yep. <laughs> and the quote fancy fancy, oh, we just made them look cooler. <laughs> Cue the dance blast, and they're right back at Peter's as he's making another leggy ship robot model. Ooh, I just wondered. I wonder if the leggy, uh, if those leggy ship models are a reference to uh, Achoniki, or I can't remember the name of it. Is this weird uh, Japanese shooter that actually has vehicles that look like that? Huh. I didn't think about it until now. I might have to look into that when I do Jelly Stone Deep Cuts Part 3, I guess. Hmm. Scheme number two actually seems like something that could work. They call it Operation Bad Parade. And in full marching band uniform, they begin a parade with chainsaws and a jet engine. Seriously, <laughs> injection by noise disturbance? That's not a bad idea. Nope, but it doesn't work. No, the king just does a flourish, barely more than a snap, and that's enough dance energy to send them flying back and putting the chainsaws in the hands of the gang. To which I gotta give the king some credit for having, excuse the phrase, balls of still, because he is throwing a freaking like, chainsaw under his crotch multiple times while dancing. Oh, man. That that's a stunt even Pendulette wouldn't try, and he's a very good juggler. And I hope he has balls of steel because something's got to protect him from that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Team Top Cat's blasting off again, back to Peter's place where he just made them matching Totoro-esque pajama onesies. Uh... Now we're on to scheme number three. And you can tell Top Cat is kind of feeling the strain. I love that scene where he just 180 degrees his freaking head. It's just like, oof. Yo, yo, you okay? <laughs> and his new plan is... Licking everything in the alley. It is, at the very least, a true plan of a cat. I will give him that. Yeah, though the gang is admittedly less convinced... They speak for us all. But off they go, licking everything, including the makeshift sandbox, and even Clyde. Poor Fancy Fancy. I, I do want to mention, though, that scene where uh, Benny's licking the couch is weirdly adorable. <laughs> <laughs> Admittedly so. 
Benny is baby. <laughs> the cat spittle is somehow not enough because Yucca Yucca has Lick Be Gone disinfectant spray. I, I had no idea hyenas were so hygienic. Oh, you know. Oh, th- th- that's almost alliterative. Almost nothing <laughs> it is. Hygienic oh, hyena. Oh my god, that's a cartoon concept right there. Pemmy, write that down. The hygienic hyena. We're going to make a fortune. You, you just got possessed by the spirit of Joe Barbera, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was hoping for Jay Ward. Oh, wait, that's you. <laughs> I ward that off every once in a while, every time I say a bad pun. <laughs> so you just successfully did it again. It is my punishment. And again. So, blast number three. Peter's doing ninjutsu practice, Naruto style. And Top Cat <laughs> is... <laughs> and Top Cat is beginning to think he really is Bottom Cat, since he can't come up with a good scam. Um, I, and this also like shows just how much I love this cast of characters, because as soon as they see that Top Cat's having a breakdown over this, they all immediately go to like comfort him. Mm-hmm. And and they also try to help, like fancy fancy's like we we've got to beat him at his own game, and they all like amp him up, and they all like, but they all come to his aid too, and it, that's that's what's great. It's it, there's they're like a family. <laughs> so off they go to perform the saddest dance moves possible. I can't. I still can't believe they have a scene where have a scene where <laughs> have a scene where like uh, where uh, Fancy Fancy is slapping Spooky's butt. <laughs> the dance energy they generate from this is little more than a waft in the wind, making what sounds pretty much like a fart sound. Yeah, but the dance was part of the master scam. Top Cat incorporates nearly everything we've seen in the episode, and you know what? He tells it better than either of us ever could. So, Top Cat, take it away! While you were distracted by our subpar dancing, Choo Choo was able to slip away unnoticed and bumper car over to the Jellystone Top Secret Laser Manufacturing Headquarters. There, she used the leftover unpeeled bananas from earlier to bribe Grape Ape, who in exchange granted her access to the top floor of the building. Once inside, she blasted away into the computer lab using the jet engine, which we borrowed from the parade. There, she hacked the mainframe and took control of the company's most powerful high-tech laser satellite. She then locked the satellite on the alley's map coordinates by syncing it to the DNA in our saliva, which we not so sneakily left behind. You never stood a chance. Choo-choo, as it turns out, was replaced by a disguised Fancy Fancy, who in turn was replaced by a mop with his face on it. <laughs> I, I, I I get a laugh out of uh, Choo-choo's kill a bug! <laughs> oh, yes. One orbital bombardment later... And the King's gang are reduced to uh, chunks of solidified dust. And Spooky puts the King himself on the hibachi station to cook. Seemingly eats them off screen because uh, whenever uh, Top Cat and his crew get back together, you see Spooky holding an empty plate and dropping it. Oh. Spooky, no. No, Spooky, no. (laughs) Yes, Spooky, yes. So with the alley back, the gang enjoys their new crater-sized conversation pit, bringing everything full circle. 
If only they had something to converse about. By the way, are you aware of who does the voice for Top Cat in this show? I will be in just a split second. Did you ever watch Reno 911 by chance? Um, bits and pieces. Uh, it's uh, Thomas uh, Lydon from that show. He was Lieutenant Jim Dangle on okay. that. Which, uh, to his credit, he makes a good Top Cat. A very a different voice that just works really well. So, those are two of the least destructive episodes of Jellystone. And so far they've involved flamethrowers, wrecking balls, and orbital bombardment. <laughs> I love just how insane... This show is so unhinged, insane, and so much fun and so hilarious. I love it so much. Also, Benny is also voiced by C.H. Greenblatt, by the way. Indeed. And uh, Choo Choo fa- and Fancy... Oh, no, not Fancy. Choo Choo and Spooky are voiced by Ginny Lorenzo, who... I want to mention has replied to artwork I've drawn on my Twitter twice. Yeah, that's really cool that she's acknowledged it. Since she's also the voice of Bobby Louie, the female version of Baba Louie, I drew a picture of Bob Bobby Louie and she responded to that by even giving a bit of information on how she got hired for the role. She said that she auditioned first for just Bobby Louie and then got the other characters as a side effect. And nice. then I did and I did a picture of Top Cat and his gang, and also she just responded with that one with love. <laughs> she keeps responding. We'll have to try and lure her in for an interview. That would be awesome. Um, of course, she's probably incredibly busy. You know, that's the life of an actor. Yep. Uh, it's still neat, though. Um, also, since we're on it, I also want to mention that I also had one of the writers and directors respond to one of my Twitter posts recently. Very, very cool. Uh, that was about uh, which sequence was that? Uh, it's in the first episode. There is a animation goof where they put a human sized version of Grape Ape in a scene. And let's see, let me. And Grape uh, Ape. And the uh, writer director, Karen Ingle. Uh, responded by saying, that's his daughter, Raisin Ape. Raisin Ape. Raisin Ape is how I imagine she sounds. <laughs> Which I was just like, I did not expect someone working on the show to actually respond to this. So uh, give me a second to pick my jaw up off the floor. Two, I believe you since you work on the show. And three, love the show. You wrote and directed one of my favorite scenes in the whole show. So major props. That scene I'm mentioning is the scene that we talked about earlier where the whole scene where uh, Top Cat is on the whiteboard and everybody's telling him how they want to be drawn and whatnot. They wrote and directed that scene. They then responded, though, with Raisin Ape is 100% on purpose and definitely not an animation mistake. (laughs) (laughs) So we're 10 episodes into Jellystone with 10 currently produced yet to go. What are we hoping to see? I want more Top Cat and crew. I want more of Jabber and, like, Loopy. I want a lot more of Loopy. Um, I'd even... A part of me kind of wants to see a Loopy-centric episode, but there's also part of me that's worried that she might not work as well if she's, if she's like, the main focus and not a responder, for lack of better words. Hmm. Fair. Let's see. Uh, I'd love to see more cameos. I love this show. I I barely have anything to complain about in it. I think the closest thing I have to complain about is I don't dig Dennis Snyder as 
Snagglepuss, but I, I've gotten used to it. So yeah, I, I don't know why they didn't just get George uh, Bergman to do that one too. But yeah, aside from waiting to see a certain number one super guy, I am incredibly satisfied with this show and the deep, deep character references. I mean, for goodness sakes, the Catanooga cats. They couldn't even make it out of Yogi's Ark when Lamsey, the supporting character from that series, did. See, the Catanooga Cats was definitely a good surprise. I mean, there's so many here. I mean, every time I think I've, you know, there's nothing more to surprise me, they pull out something like Bleep from Josie and the Pussycats in Outer Space appears in the show. Right. See, it's like rough and ready are in the show and they're robots for some reason um but uh yeah it's just gosh it, it's so good i i also want to see hong kong Fui appear in an episode that would be great they could have an episode where he he ends up being a like one time or multiple time rival to a uh, elkabong or something mm. or maybe in keeping with elkabong's role he could be the substitute teacher ah that would work too let's see uh, you, you do know that uh, Hong Kong Fui made a cameo, uh, made an appearance as a guest racer in the Wacky Races reboot, right? Yeah, we talked about that in the Wacky Races episode. Uh, yeah, we did. All right. So it's definitely a possibility. Yeah, just give Phil Lamar a call. He is the only person who should have the right to play that character right now. <laughs> but yeah, uh, God, I love this show. So much to it. Like, gosh, like I said, Shazam is in it, and Shazam even... Uh, there's one episode where Shazam actually says Yapple Dapple, which is a reference to Babu from the freaking Genie cartoon that they right. made based on I Dream of Genie. Well, we should save some of this for the sequel episode. Which there most likely will be. Yeah. And in the meantime, I think we're out of both Fruity and Cocoa Pebbles. Yabba Dabba Doo! Yep. So, we're off to restock the breakfast cereal. So, I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. Thank you so much for tuning in. See ya! The Penny and James to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast! The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michael Smith.